We'll continue this morning reading in Revelation. We'll look at the second chapter, the first seven verses. Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou canst, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles, and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored, and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. This was the first message in a series of seven messages that Christ had for one of the seven churches that made up uh, Asia Minor, known as modern-day Turkey at this time. But the Lord had a message for His church. There were actually seven different messages. As I said, this was that first message here that the Lord had for this first church. You know, as you look into uh, back at the Scripture reading, it explains some of the symbolism here. We see that we recognize that this message was from Jesus Christ Himself. This was not John's message to the church. This was Christ's message to the church, spoken by Christ's lips, penned by John. So we need to understand this wasn't somebody's message. This was Christ's message to the church. We also see that the seven stars represented, or the seven angels represented the seven messengers of the seven churches. Uh, Many commentaries think that could represent the pastor or maybe a minister or an elder or a leader, but it was the one to deliver the message. And the seven candlesticks represent the churches themselves. So we can see seven messages to seven churches delivered by Christ himself. We get a picture of Jesus, too, in Revelation chapter 1, verse 12 and 13. This was John's vision of Christ. He said, And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks, and in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like another son of man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. So here, John had a vision of Jesus Christ in the midst of his church. You know, Christ is in the midst of his church. It's wonderful to know that Jesus, his very presence was in the midst of that church. Jesus, the Lord of the universe, knew the exact location of every church. He knew the precise situation each one of them was going through. And he cares about his church. The Lord cares about his bride. So we see in these letters, most of them have kind of a 
theme, you might say. Only two churches didn't receive any rebuke, but we kind of see the structure of these letters. The Lord gives a commendation, condemnation, and then correction. So we'll look again at this uh, first letter here to the church in Ephesus. We know Ephesus, if you study the history of that church, uh, it was a very prosperous city. It was the capital city of Asia Minor at that time. It was known as the Light of Asia. And because of its location, it became a very popular trade route. It was close to the mouth of the Caister River, which made it a port city. And that made it ideal for shipping goods to Greece and to Rome. It was a very prosperous city. It was a port city. I thought, you know, sounds like Portland. Maybe Portland is a version of uh, the Mediterranean version, or not the Mediterranean version, but a version of, of this church here in Ephesus. It was a port city. It was very prosperous, but it was also very wicked. It was a wicked city. It was full of pagan worship and idolatry. One of the biggest things was the worship of the goddess, the false goddess Diana, and they even built this huge temple to the goddess Diana. It was known as one of the seven wonders of the world. And the local artisans made a lot of money actually making statues of this goddess. So it was a very idolatrous and wicked city. Not to mention that that worship involved all kinds of filthiness and sexual immorality and licentiousness. And uh, it was also very common, a lot of occultic practices going on. So again, we see it was a wicked city, prosperous but wicked. Sounds a lot like Portland, (laughs) doesn't it? You can see some similarities there. And in the midst of this wickedness was this church, Ephesus. The Lord knew their location. The Lord knew where they were. The Lord knew the kinds of things they were dealing with in the culture. No doubt they were probably facing a lot of pressures to conform and to uh, cave into the pressures of the culture, but uh, the Lord had some commendations for this little group of believers here in Ephesus. Verse 2, He says, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience. The Lord saw what they were doing for Him. Jesus sees what you're doing for Him, your works, your labor, your patience, that works Word works could also mean deeds or actions or tasks. It might also mean achievements and accomplishments. The Lord saw that this was a very industrious, hardworking church. This church could get a lot of things done, and they did it well. You know, I think of our church and the amazing group of people we have here, truly uh, many workers, and the things that this church is able to accomplish, it truly is amazing. I remember my first year at Christmas on the campgrounds, experiencing it for myself. I was amazed. I had heard about it, but I truly was amazed at the work involved. I remember that first year, one of the neighbors that had visited came up to me and they thanked me profusely for putting on this great production. (laughs) Well, I thanked them. I, I really couldn't tell them I had nothing to do with it. But people work hard, and this was a hardworking church. They were industrious. They were able to get a lot of things done and do it well, and the Lord noticed that. The Lord commended them for their hard work. You know, for 35 years, actually 35 years earlier, as Paul 
uh, began this church, we see him commanding them for this very thing in the book of Ephesians. This was about 35 years before they received this letter. Ephesians 2.10, it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God ordained that we should walk in them. So here we see this church 35 years later, laboring, working hard for the Lord and doing a good job. And Jesus noticed that. Mentioned their labor. Labor could also mean toil. That actually refers to laboring to a point of weariness. So they worked hard. They worked long. And they sometimes even worked to the point of exhaustion, uh, doing things and laboring, working for the Lord. And God noticed that. Christ said, this is a good thing. He commended him for it. And verse 3, you know what? It tells us they did it with the right motive. Verse 3 says, and has borne and has patience, and for my name's sake has labored and has not fainted. So they were even doing it for Christ's sake. That's a good reason to do what we do for the Lord. And they were laboring and doing that in the name of Jesus, in the name of the Lord. We see, too, they were... They were morally and doctrinally pure. This was a pure church. They held to the truth. Verse 2, it also says, I know how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. It says they couldn't bear those who were evil. Where bear means to tolerate or to uh, put up with. And they refused to participate in their evil deeds. And they, they refused uh, the evildoers. They couldn't bear to tolerate evil and ungodliness. They rejected the practices of the culture around them. So you might say they were separating themselves from the culture. They loved the Word of God. They were doctrinally sound, like it says here. Uh, it says that they tried those that said they were apostles or disciples and were not. You know, Ephesus, because it was a major trade route, it said some of the experts said that often they would get people that would travel through the city and they would bring all kinds of philosophies and all kinds of false doctrines and they would stand and sometimes they'd try to preach a false gospel and subvert the faith of others. So the saints in Ephesus were standing up saying, no, they they were like the Bereans. They searched the scriptures and if it didn't line up to God's word, they called the people out for what they were, false prophets. They weren't about to give in to the cultural pressures and they were uncompromising in their stand for the truth and for the Word of God. You know, they didn't preach tolerance and acceptance. It's a popular message today, but they stood firm in their convictions to preach the truth. And again, we see Paul warned them many years earlier in the book of Acts. He was speaking to this very group of people. Acts chapter 20, verses 28 through 31. says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost have made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock, also of your own self shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch, and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. So Paul warned them for three years with tears. Look out for false teachers. 
Beware of false doctrine. And they adhered Paul's advice. We see 35 years later, still maintaining their orthodox uh, principles and their beliefs and their sound doctrines. They didn't compromise in that area. Said so another thing he commanded them for, they hated the deeds of the Nicolaitans or Nicolaitans. You know, there's not a lot known about that group other than the fact they were believed to have adopted the doctrine of Balaam, which basically said you could serve God in your spirit and whatever you did in your flesh really didn't matter. It was kind of uh, anything goes. You know, once we hear that doctrine, call it eternal security. Once saved, always saved. This idea that you can somehow be under God's grace and continue living in sin, God forbid. That's a false doctrine. They hated that doctrine. And Jesus said, you hate the things I hate. That's a good thing, to hate what God hates and love what he loves. We see the the church in Ephesus, they, they did that. You know, you look at their resume. This church looked great on paper. They were hardworking, patient, doctrinally pure. They showed amazing perseverance in face of persecution. Every church should have these characteristics. Be wonderful. Uh, if we said, yes, we resemble that church. Hopefully that's where the similarities end. Because we see, in spite of all these things, Jesus had a warning for them. Verse 4. He says, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left my first love. This wasn't just some trifle. This just wasn't some little thing that could be overly looked, over, easily overlooked. This was a fatal flaw. This was something that concerned Jesus Christ greatly and deeply. And you know, he wasn't reproving them out of anger. He was reproving them out of love and concern. He wanted them to succeed as a church, but he realized there was something majorly wrong here. You look at those two words, left and first. Left means to forsake or depart. It's an act for which one is responsible. It's a choice. Notice he didn't say, you lost it. You left it. It was a choice. You lose something by accident. You lose your keys, your wallet by accident. They chose to leave the Lord. This was a choice they made in which they were responsible for. Leaving also implies distraction. You know, you don't leave something for something else unless you're distracted or drawn away. Something, somewhere in spite of all of these amazing things this church was doing, they allowed something to draw their affection away. And the Lord said, no, it's not okay to have other affections draw us away. It's called idolatry. It wasn't right then, it's not right now. So Jesus was saying, something is wrong here. You've allowed this to happen. The word first, that's the thing that establishes all other priorities. That's what they left. They left the thing that fueled, that once fueled their love and their desire and their uh, fervent affection for the church and uh, their desire to labor and work for the Lord. They left the love that fueled that. It was like the Lord was saying, you're running on an empty tank. 
You can't continue to sustain things without that first love. You know, maybe for some, their labor replaced their love for the Lord. I don't know. It's possible, I suppose. Maybe it was just weariness. Day in and day out, the Word of God says, because iniquity abounds, the love of many shall wax cold. Maybe just being constantly surrounded by the culture and fighting and striving to maintain doctrinal purity and moral purity. Maybe they just became tired and worn out. Maybe it was the cares of life, the deceitfulness of riches. These are things all of us, no doubt, probably deal with, maybe on a daily basis. But something happened here, and it caused the Lord great concern. So the Lord says, there's a problem. But you know, aren't you thankful the Lord didn't leave him there? Again, Christ loves his church. Jesus knows where every single person is spiritually. The Lord wants us to succeed. The Lord wants us to be a vibrant church, an active church driven by love for him. So the Lord said, there's something you can do. He actually gave him three things. Verse 5, Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly and remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. Three things, remember, repent, and do your first works over, or remember, repent, and return. Remember means to recall or rehearse. And he says, remember from whence thou art fallen. It's obvious from the wording there that this church was not in the same place spiritually that they once were. They had fallen. Something had happened. There was distance between them and the Lord. So the Lord said, remember. Remember from whence thou art fallen. Remember when everything was brand new. Remember when you fell in love. I do. I remember the first time I asked Rosie out. I was shocked she said yes. I was surprised she would lower her standards that far. But I'm thankful. I was amazed she said yes. You remember when you prayed a prayer of repentance and the Lord saved you? You remember how you felt that moment afterwards when the Lord accepted you? Do you remember how you felt when that burden of sin was lifted off your shoulders? How amazed you were? It's good to remember that. Rehearse. How did you feel those first moments afterward? I tell you, I was begging and pleading with the Lord. And the moment my prayer reached heaven, I couldn't help but praise the Lord. It was amazing what God had done. Remember how it felt when you passed from death unto life. That's what happened when you first fell in with the Lord. Jesus is saying, remember. Remember these things. You know, when I was dating Rosie, I would have moved heaven and earth to spend two hours with her. It was important. I wanted to spend time with her. Remember how you felt when you were first saved? You couldn't wait to spend time with the Lord. You couldn't wait to get down on your knees and seek the Lord. I tell you, I couldn't wait. One of the most amazing things to me after the Lord saved me was my desire to be in church. I couldn't wait to get to God's house, to be with God's people. 
It was a matter of survival for me. I couldn't wait. I arranged my priorities around serving the Lord and being able to be where God's people were, not the other way around. How do you feel? Do you still have that same excitement, that same zeal for being in God's house? That same love? Ask yourself a question. It's going to take some honesty. Can you remember, remember a time in your life when you love Christ more than you love Him now? Can you ever remember a time like that? Do you have that same excitement, that same zeal, that same fervor, that same love for the Lord that you once had? Is the Lord first in your life? Are you loving Him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Loving Him with your mind? You're careful about what you watch? You're going to be careful about what you listen to. You're going to be careful about what you entertain yourself with. You're going to be careful about your conduct and where you go. You're going to guard that treasure that Jesus gave you with all your heart. You're going to be so sensitive and careful not to do anything to offend the Lord. Are you there? If you are, God bless you. Stay there. But if you find that you're not where you need to be spiritually, the Lord's offering hope. The Lord is not condemning you here. He says, repent. Just repent. If you realize uh, God has been dealing with you, drop to your knees. Just humble yourself and say, Lord, I am so sorry. I'm so sorry that I left that first love. If you'll humble yourself, you'll repent, turn back to the Lord. God will help you. Maybe you haven't reached that point, but maybe you feel yourself drifting from the Lord. Again, repent. Just turn to the Lord and say, Lord, make it brand new all over again. God will do that. And it says, do your first works. First, again, implies what was most important. No doubt, prayer was one of the most important things you did when you were first saved. Communicating with the Lord. You know, it's more than just reading a two-minute devotional and running out the door with a cup of coffee in your hand. Try maintaining a relationship like that. It's not going to work. It's spending time, personal time with the Lord, getting to know what He has to say, uh, seeking Him, seeking His Word, spending time in His Word. Again, it means arranging our priorities around the Lord's priorities. We get that backwards sometimes. There is hope. God can renew His church. If you're, again, in that spirit of maybe you're in a backslidden state, that's a difficult thing to admit, but humble yourself, ask God to forgive you, get you back to that place that you need to be. God will do that for you. He'll help you. He'll encourage you. It says if you don't repent, it says that the Lord would come quickly and He would remove their candlestick that indicates that judgment was coming. could refer to the coming of the Lord. It may have been something even more immediate, but the Lord says, if you don't, I'm going to come, and I'm going to have to judge your deeds. He said you would no longer exist as a lighthouse and a beacon. Your candlestick would be removed. You'd no longer be that salt and light to the world, and your place of relevance would be gone. And the worst part is the Lord would remove His presence out of their midst. It's a terrible thing. We don't ever 
want to see that happen. But the Lord said, for those that held fast, those that overcome, I love this promise, verse 7, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. You know, there's an amazing thing about that promise. Said it would give him right to the tree of life. Basically, this was a restoration of everything that had been lost in the Garden of Eden. If you think about it, Jesus, uh, God had given them this garden, this tree of life, and they had the right to eat of it. The only tree they could eat of was the knowledge of good and evil. And when they disobeyed God, that fellowship was broken. They lost that right. But the Lord here is offering restoration. He says, come to the Lord, repent, God will restore you, put you back to that place where you need to be. You know, when Christ comes, he's coming for those that love his appearing. The only way you can love his appearing is to love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. God is faithful. God bless you. If you're here and you're not where you need to be, you can leave this place knowing that you've met the Lord. And for those of you that are being faithful, just keep on keeping on. God is commending you for that. God will bless you. God will help us. Let's sing 599. These altars are open.